Welcome to Unsupervised Learning, where we bring members of the Merlin Mind team together to talk about artificial intelligence, technology, and education. We hope you enjoy these conversations and learn something with us. Let's learn. Ellen, welcome to the podcast to Unsupervised Learning. I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm scared. <laughs> so the, this is my favorite podcast we're doing because we get to talk to our own team and learn from each other and share the things that we think are important and that guide and inspire us. So today we have the pleasure to learn from our chief design officer, Ellen Alonzo, about her story, who she is, how she brings such beauty and inspiration into the company. So Ellen, let, let me give it to you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about you and who you are. So I am a designer by accident. I studied communications actually, and design is communication through certain mediums, right? So most of my career, I been looking on how to communicate with people about values. And I came to, to Merlin Mind to try to do just that, to try to figure out how to use these tools to help people learn, to help people, um, to help teachers reach out to children, to students more uh, fluently, right? Okay, so, we're gonna dig into that a lot in the story today about the work you're doing at Merlin Mind. But before we do that, let's learn more about you. What's your story? What makes you who you are? You can talk about where you came from, where you live, the people that are important to you, but just give us a taste of who is Ellen. Okay, so the first thing I have to say is that I'm Venezuelan. And I'm a Venezuelan, the daughter of immigrants from Europe who escaped the civil war in Spain and the World War II in France. Wow. And there were people that were part of the resistance and there were people who were like trying to defend what we consider the good values and eventually had to escape and cross the ocean and find a new life somewhere else. So there is a part of me that is made out of explorers and adventurers and people who fight for what they believe in. And that, of course, translated into my parents. My mother is French. Like we, we were, we are, we are a family of immigrants. We all start somewhere and finish somewhere else. <laughs> uh, and that is, um, is a mindset yeah. right? that allows us to, to never stop looking for something better. It's like we're constantly looking for towards the horizon, right? We never settle. And that is combined with certain aspects about my family where for one reason or another, each one of us have our own reasons. We are passionate about knowledge. There is a, there is a, um, a saying in, my, in our family, you have to learn everything about something and something about everything. Oh, I love that. And, and so we strive to be universal people and explore the world and understand, understand, right? And mix that with our, you know, um, extreme passion for the idea of the Renaissance person and how one person needs to learn how to become really good at many things and wear different hats. Right? Okay. So I think that I am defined by curiosity and creativity. That's really the, my two most um, 
characteristic qualities, if you say. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say struggle. Like, I mean, I would say almost what? super superpowers. Like I've now known you for more than three years. I've had the privilege of working close with you. Mm-hmm. And I think curiosity, creativity, those are words I would immediately say, yes, that's Ellen. And that's so cool to hear the story <laughs> of where that came from and the history of your family. Amazing. I love getting to know you. And I'm sure everyone else will love that too and understand how that influences who Merlin is. Any Anything else about where you're at now? Are you still in Venezuela? Where do you find yourself? Oh, great question. I needed to complete that. <laughs> so I grew up in a country that could be paradise on earth. It is full of resources. We have most oil than most, comp- most countries in the world. We have gold, diamond, all kinds of metals uranium, whatever you want, and the most beautiful landscapes in a tropical environment. We destroyed our country. And when you see a country destroyed by lack of information, by lack of education, you, you see what that, have, what that does to the jungle, to the Amazon, to all the animals that don't have an environment to live anymore than go extinct, mm. to this beautiful home that you love, and it's no longer there anymore. Right. You care about education. Education matters, right? So I did it, I decided ages ago, I think I was eight years old, when I did this, decided that I was going to make every possible effort to just show the world how amazing this is mm. and how much we need to protect it and care for it, right? And that transformed into education. I wanted to be president of Venezuela. Oh, very good. Maybe, maybe they'll hire <laughs> but, you someday. <laughs> I'm not popular enough. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I turned into education. And about 20 years ago, that tsunami of uh, events in Venezuela was so much powerful than I was that I decided I was going to jump somewhere up. Mm. And I had this enormous passion for gorillas at the time. I, I'm all about animals and environmental conservation. And I decided that, <laughs> I decided that I was going to be uh, working on an orphanage of gorillas in Congo. And I was going to teach the gorillas how to be gorillas again, right? Mm. So I started learning French and I started my conversations with the Congo institutes, uh, institutions in Congo. and. A civil war exploded there. And after having almost getting there, I was rejected. So I had to get my option B. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I could be a gorilla mama these days, but wow. I ended up actually moving to New York and going at the, and working at the Bronx Zoo. And it was the Bronx Zoo because it's one of the best, if not the best, zoo park in the world. And I always thought that they managed to convey and to inspire the passion that I was looking on people. I wanted to know how do they manage mm. to convince people to care, yes. right? And that is an enormous power for education because if you don't care, you don't learn. Right. So in a way, it was how to spark that emotional, emotional core within people so they care and then they learn and then they protect. Right. So inspires action. And so I came here 20 years ago. I had a visa as a tourist visa and I was allowed to stay for six months. I didn't speak English. I didn't know anybody here. 
and it was very difficult, <laughs> very lonely. But I was fascinated not only by the messages of Gronsu, but of New York and how inspiring it is and how fast people walk here and how fun they dress and how interesting the conversations are. So I, I felt when I came here that this was my place. Wow. I was like, ha! Ah, it's kind of like, <laughs> That's I have never said that I was glad to not be in the gorilla orphanage, mm. but I think that this was more sustainable <laughs> in the long term. Okay. <laughs> so what a, what an interesting backstory. Okay. So you come to New York, you work at the zoo, you get inspired by how the zoo's experiences and design and information and communication motivates and inspires people to care. Then fast forward, I don't know, all kinds of things probably happen in the interim. Eventually you end up at the Museum of Natural History directing yeah. interactive learning experiences and how people get excited about the world. Can you tell us about, we don't need all the details in between there, but like what, what happened and then how'd you get there and what did you learn directing that work? Well, what I found about zoos is that we are always talking about animals and that the conservation stories are always the same. And I realized that my curiosity went beyond that I was passionate not only about love and conservation of animals and nature, but I was, I was in love with knowledge, mm. of, with the stars, with the prehistoric times, with the molecular matter. Like I couldn't get enough. So I decided to move towards science museums. I had some experience like, uh, working on that in Venezuela too. But I decided to work into a more expanded set of knowledge because knowledge feeds everything. You cannot just talk about one type of story, right? And simultaneously, I've always been interested in technology because there is a part of me that is hungry for the future that I'm never going to see, mm. right? It's like, I wish I could live 500 years. If I have a time machine, where would I go? Well, like in like 300 years, 500 years, right? It's, 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 um, it's a kind of sadness, existential sadness. <laughs> that I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna get to see any of that, right? So I decided, I like uh, one of the things that motivates me is that to try to make the future, I would otherwise not see or not oh. get to see. So That's if beautiful. I bring the future sooner, maybe I will get to experience these science fiction fa fantasies that we all have, right? Teletransportation, I think I'm never gonna get to. But, um, but overall, I think that the use of technology combined with the fantastic nature of knowledge, yes. combined with fun exploration and the spark of curiosity, gives you three ingredients that create a um, suspended mode of belief is what I call the wow moment. Mm -hmm. And one thing I became an expert at the museum was to master the wow moment. This moment where you look at something that normally involves a technology that you have never seen or used like that, where you can't explain it. And you're like, ah, where the content is so beautiful and attractive that you cannot, you cannot help it, but open the wonder world, world mm. uh, wonder door, and be inspired. Once you get there, being this suspension, 
you absorb everything. You can't help, you can't you absorb, help but learn, right? right? You can't help but learn, exactly. So I learned how to do that very well at the museum. In the time that I spent there, it was uh, 10 years, I did about 400 projects. Uh, of them, most of them involved new technologies. Mm. And we went, you know, as time goes by, you, you start working with apps as if it's a new thing. Right. You know, multi-touch tables, gesture recognition, AI. So you, you evolve with the evolution of technology and your stories evolve and your way to captivate people evolve too. So I was, um, I was working on a show about the ocean that was very, very beautiful at the museum. And coincidentally, my colleagues uh, learned about it and discovered me. Mm. And they had the vision, and I have to give them a lot of credit for this. They had the vision to think, if she can do that, what can she do for Merlin? Right. So you're saying your colleagues, meaning the founders of Merlin Mind and the chairman, our investors, they saw the work you were doing and they said, wait a second, she could create magic over here for what we want to do in bringing AI to education. So that's how you got to Merlin Mind. What an amazing kind of confluence of events and your background experience to bring you here and how wonderfully grateful we are, our team, and I'm sure all of the teachers and students who are using Merlin because of how much beauty is now here and you. So Tell us maybe now about, so grateful. you made it to Merlin Mind. What have we been doing for the last, I mean, you've been here more than three years now, almost four years. Like, what has it been like? What is that only. journey? Yeah. What's that journey been like for you? Well, it's been fascinating because it was a long time ago when I was in school and I was in a different country. And fortunately, things have gotten so much more engaging and fun and interesting at schools. So when I came into this, uh, this world of Merlin, I knew about education, but I didn't know about classrooms. So it was a great opportunity for me to discover all the efforts and all the fun, effective things that teachers these days are doing and how hard they work to actually open the mind of their students. So it's been a combination of discovery and discovery of artificial intelligence as well. Because of all the technologies that I had used, artificial intelligence was nascent. So I, I, didn't, I hadn't learned enough about it to understand the immense potential that it has, especially mm. in the hands of the right people. Right. The, I remember thinking the first time this project was mentioned to me, I was thinking, hmm, they are going to capture my kids' data. And I didn't like that. And it was actually the kindness and vision of our founders saying, no, 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 we are protecting the kids, we're protecting the users. We are not here to take advantage of them. We are here to help them. We are here to facilitate, to, to augment them, to solve problems, right? To solve problems that education is, uh, is finding and to, to smooth the path towards knowledge that they got me i was like oh, okay okay we're talking we're talking now and when when i joined we had an idea of what we wanted to do but we didn't know exactly what that was right and is uh it took 
is, is this fascinating thing about changing fields when you are in your career. I changed fields many times, like from gorillas to soup, from yeah. soup to music. <laughs> I was a big changes. Before. <laughs> Advertising, I work in so many things. Uh, so it was a big learning curve for me to start learning about um, the business side of things, which I've never cared about. <laughs> I still don't. Yeah. <laughs> I care about education. I care about design. And what I want is to make the most useful, intuitive thing that is beautiful and brings pleasure and that creates that wow moment yes so everyone can learn that's what i want to do okay ellen you just talked about design and everything you've been doing over the last few years here at merlin mind with design we recently won a pretty exciting design award uh thanks to you and others on our team and some of our partners could you tell us more about why it matters what it is what it means to you well there is a part there is a part that matters for our company because this recognition is a assurance that what we are doing has value for the people that we made it for. And that is um, it's adding something good to the world and that it has been well thought, thoroughly thought, and that it's not only beautiful, which design awards, design is normally understood as aesthetics, but design is about function as well. So when you win a design award like this one, it's telling you that you're not only beautiful aesthetically and sophisticated, it's also telling you that you're useful, that you were well thought. And truth be told, the amount of thinking that goes in design at all levels of the design involved here, like we designed what the features were going to be, what, how it was going to look like, what was the engineering side of it? Uh, what materials it was going to be made of? How the packaging was going to be to make it useful and recyclable, all of that. All this thinking gets validated when you win an award of that size. Right. So, and this was it's called the Red Dot Design Award, right? And is it is it a big deal? Have other people that matter won this thing? It's a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is the biggest award in Europe. And it has been won by our design church, like Apple. <laughs> yeah, Apple, Ferrari, big, big companies I mean, with beautiful products. Any, any of those brands are equally, um, have, do equally balance functionality and usability with beautiful beauty and sophistication. To be given an award of this uh, reputation is very meaningful to all of us. I mean, mm. This was a big team. It wasn't just me. Eh? Uh, and everybody gave so much. And we, you know, it's interesting because we defined this part of the product. Our product continues growing and we've done a lot since. But this part of the product that won this award was produced during the heat of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we had to change our work to remote and we had to like have fabrics, open, like have these all these books of fabrics uh, flying from China to select like which texture and which color and which what plastic under which light. And we had this conversation. It's so much work, so much <laughs> detail and so many discussions. Sometimes, you know, we have the different forces within the design team where where the hardware team needs to make sure that it fits the, what we, he need, they need fits inside the machine. 
and I have the usability. So it's like the ergonomics of everything had to be like perfect. And then it comes the aesthetics that we have our, our industrial designers and they, they have to make sure that it's balanced, that everything fits, that it has the right compendium of lines, right? Mm. And this balancing all of these needs and forces, it is a lot of work. It's a lot of collaboration. It's beautiful, I have to say. And this is a very beautiful team where we have fun designing together. It's, it's, it was delightful and I'm very grateful to the entire team because yeah. it was an experience for all of us. It's very exciting and so thrilling to see that what we're trying to create, the future that you talked about, making a better future today, it's real, it's happening. Teachers are loving what we're doing and the product fits so beautifully into their lives, into their workflows, into the way that they teach. So maybe let's now shift to talking about that. You talked a lot about design, how most people misunderstand design. They think it's just what you see. It's not just what you see. It's much, much more than that. Can you just tell us like, what is design to you? And then we'll get into how do you do good design and why does it matter to do good design? Design, design is normally perceived as the final product. When you see something beautiful you design, it's like, oh, right, how beautiful. But the truth is that just the idea of having that without cables, having the idea of having Merlin serving the features that we needed to, to serve, that on itself is design. Understanding the user and the problems that we are trying to solve, that's design. Because you are designing not products, but solutions. Mm -hmm. You see a problem and you are trying to figure out how to solve that problem. And that comes with a big tale of like, why is it going to be? How is it going to work? How is it going to look? Where is it going to be put? How much is it going to cost? All of that is teamwork on many disciplines, but it's mainly design. Because it's about understanding, understanding a person or a group of people, understanding what their life is about, the problems they have, and how to solve them. Mm -hmm. So when you think about design, you are not putting lines on a paper. Most of my design has nothing to do, cannot be sketchable. Mm. The design is about understanding the other person, which starts with research understanding the problem and try to understand the parts of the problem and how you could solve it to smooth it out. That is called intuitive design, right? When you try to solve a problem in a way that goes with the automatic thought of one mind. And intuitive design is something very difficult to achieve because you have to understand people. Right. And understanding people is very complex because talk about an endless set of variables, right? But there are some aspects of aspects of human nature that are universal. And if you understand people and if you can read people, you can achieve that level of design. And it takes many iterations. We're not gonna say that that we get it at the first one. But yeah. eventually when you get to a product, that product has is a reflection on that conversation with the user. So that is design. Yeah, I feel like I've learned so much from you about design and what design is and how it penetrates all aspects of the work we do. And that actually all of us who are problem solvers at times are finding ourselves as designers, whether we realize it or not. Yeah. And this idea of design isn't what you see, but what you feel, how it helps you, how you, like that you felt understood, that it felt, almost feels like someone has shown you empathy when something has been designed mm -hmm. well. That... Mm -hmm 
has struck me powerfully in my work with you and the work we're doing at Merlin Mind. So talk about why does it matter? Why does it matter to do design that way and produce products and solutions that have that kind of impact on people? The goal of design is to improve your quality of life, no matter what you design it is, from a couch to a spaceship, right? It's like you want you want to create something that makes your life better. And some of those problems that you're trying to solve are very simple, but there are others in particular within education where there are a lot of problems to solve, starting with the overwhelming nature of the profession, the overwhelming need for a result, the incredibly, incredibly important presence or need of education in the life of all of us and throughout all our lives. So when you think of designing something to solve a problem, you don't want your design to be another problem. You mm. want to, your design to be a solution. And if it's not a solution, there is a problem. Right. And to be a good design, something that is well designed, speaks for itself. You know how to use it. It's intuitive. It's smooth. You can you, you roll with it. It mm. offers no friction. I'm not going to lie to you. We're still not there. <laughs> I assume that's because a lifelong pursuit. To, You're never done designing. It's, it's, yeah. It's forever. It's forever. And the more you know, the more you realize that, that there are little fixes to, 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 to do. No? But you start with big strokes and then you start perfecting and perfecting, perfecting, perfecting to a point where you, you know every single detail of every single part of the product that you make. And okay. it is important. Yeah. So it's important because if I understood you correctly, you're trying to help someone have a better life, live a better life, experience a better life, accomplish something in their life, and that your products, your solutions are going to help them do that better, not make it more complicated for them to achieve their goals. So knowing that, let's look at maybe just a few examples to bring this to life for people. So for those who are listening, if they don't know what we do at Merlin Mind, we're creating artificial intelligence to help teachers teach, make it easier to teach it, more natural to teach, to use technology as they teach. You can now ask Merlin for assistance, pull up my presentation, start the video, switch to my laptop, really letting them untether and walk freely through the class while controlling technology. All of this has so many points of design in how they interact with the device, how they interact with their laptop, how the laptop interacts with the front of room display so they can see what they want to see. You've been through countless rounds of iterations on all of this to bring this cohesive product together. Can you give us maybe one or two examples of like where design has really mattered and where you either before you built or after you built saw those opportunities to take out friction, to make it easier, to improve the way our teachers interact with Merlin? So Merlin, Merlin is helping you go through information and avoid the typing and the mouse and the cabling and all of these things that actually keep you tied to your computer instead of being with the kids, with the students that you need to be. So we found, for example, that every time a teacher wants to tell a story that most of the teacher's com uh, content these days lives in the browser, right? It's right. online. So she has a lot of these websites where she has the presentation in one website and then she has a video open YouTube into, into another tab. And maybe she has a definition or a picture, things, activities from other uh, educational technologies in different tabs, right? 
And this is the simplest example. Every time she wants to tell a different part of the story, she has to go back to her computer and change it up. And then she goes back and then she has to go back to the computer and change it up. Now, in a matter of seconds, she's like, with the remote that we do. It takes like, like there's no more thinking. Mm. It's like automatic. There is no back and forth. And if she remembers, if she, if she doesn't want to do it like this, she can say, go to a YouTube tab to right. get the video, go to, go to my Google slide tab. If you, if you have more than one, it tells you which one. It's incredible. The amount of time that we're saving. And that is one single one. The other one is like, you can make searches. Like if you're having a conversation with the, the, the student, often comes up, questions come up. And sometimes you want to give examples. You can just ask Merlin. Show me a gorilla. So that's a gorilla. Now show me a chimpanzee. Ah, uh, you see a difference? It's not yeah. the same, right? So it allows you to continue the flow. So we are removing that those frictions where it's like, ah, oh, just give me a second. Let me search gorilla picture. Okay, this is okay. Now let me no no no. It's part of the conversation. The flow is never lost. So you don't lose the kids. Love that. It's what about today? What are you working on today? What's an interesting design problem? Like you mentioned, like we're not done, right? Like this is just the beginning. There's still so much we still need to design better to make this work for teachers. Can you give me an example of something that people could grasp, like to understand where there's still friction and why design can help remove that? The main problem that we have is that we have so many ideas that we don't have enough time <laughs> to make them all happen, right? Because one day we wanted to be like, hey, Merle, start, start the lesson. And you already, Merlin, know which lesson, which with kids. Like, hey, Merlin, uh, do the attendance. A lot of teachers would love that. Right. It's like, yes, please get that out of my hands, right? So we have so many ideas. And uh, we have to be patient. It's like, oh, it's so hard to yes. be patient. So right now, what are the most pressing um, solutions that we are trying to figure out? For example, we are trying to... Um, get people to to connect to the Merlin without friction. Mm. Like I'm here, Shoo, you recognize my computer. <laughs> happens. So this I means instead of having code. to walk in and seeing a code on the screen and typing it in and going back, you're trying to make that all automated with AI and with beautiful design. Exactly, with beautiful design. So we are trying to have uh, conversations with Merlin, and this is one of the parts that I enjoy the most where um, I like it so much that actually we have a whole team and everything, but I write myself the uh, personality questions, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can have a conversation with Merlin and make it part of the, make it be part of the community within the classroom so mm -hmm. the kids can ask questions and things like that. Uh, we have, um, we are, for example, recognizing the extreme importance of uh, integrating with multiple platforms. So we are able to create PowerPoints from Google Slides and from Nearpod, I mean, to play PowerPoints, uh, right. presentations, uh, slides. Now we're including uh, PowerPoint teams from Microsoft, right. right? So we are expanding little by little toward all of these areas simultaneously that, that have an impact on the quality of the teacher's performance. So it's a... It's all about removing friction. We decided, uh, and you were a key part of this, Levi, 
we decided a, a, a few years ago that we were going to start where the teacher is. And the teacher is living with her laptop and she is managing her content online and they use multiple platforms. So compatibility with all types of laptops and desktops is important. And there is an enormous amount of thought uh, put into, into these kinds of experiences to remove any friction, whatever laptop you have in whatever configuration you have with any screen you have, if you have a smart screen, if you have a Promethean board, if you have a, a standard TV or a projector, like that configuration and that friction uh, is going away. So we look into, into everything from removing the friction towards knowledge that we are all very passionate about to easing the life of the teachers and the administration, the IT administrators that have to put together all of these systems. So it's a, it's a very deep problem, a very deep um, idea with a lot of uh, space ahead of us for evolution improvement. I always, I often think of the culture of a company as its people, right? It's, it's, it's us, like we are the company. And if you think about Merlin Mind, what's what's so beautiful about this company is it is filled with curious learners who want to make the world better. And that really comes from our founders. You look at Satya and Ravi and Shared and what they brought to this company, and it was really about like, we just want to learn and we want to experiment and we want to make the world better. And then I almost look and I see like there's this heart and soul and love and beauty in our culture and our company. And I feel like that's you, Ellen. Like you brought it into this company. It's so much in our ethos, our DNA. And I hope that the teachers who use Merlin can feel that, right? Because it really is a special company, special product. So I just want to, anything else you want to say about your kind of vision and hopes and why you want to be working on this, why you're spending your life doing this? There are many ways to affect education. I always thought that the school, the family and the school are the key to it. The work that we are doing here is a seed for a big forest that we hope it will grow one day, right? And Merlin is just starting as this seed that will help the teachers, but eventually will help also the students and eventually will include the parents and will be, it will be a more supportive community to help these kids evolve towards, towards what we need in this world, you know, people, good people. And if anything, if anything deserves our time in this very short life that we have is education. We say conservation, sciences, anything that helps the world be better, right? And I have a strong belief that this team of really wonderful people, because honestly, this team is delightful, kind, amazing. This team can do it. This team, this team, this team has the priorities in the right place. And there is no compromise of values on what we do. We all believe in education. That's why we are here. Mm. And we are taking it seriously. Well, and thank you for joining us today and sharing your story with us, your experience, your vision. I'm sure we'll have you on this show more to talk about the things you're running into and the things that we want to solve with design. We appreciate everything you do for the company. and. If, uh, if people have other questions for you, I'm sure they can contact you. Uh, we'd love to hear from our users. So if anybody has ideas, we're always doing yes, research. Yes, please. Yes. Yes, mm -hmm. we need them. <laughs> okay, very good. That's the most fun. 
Thank you, Levi, for having me. It was super fun. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Unsupervised Learning. Until next time, keep learning.